All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and actually we're going to, I want you to look at verse 17 of chapter 2, one verse before we get into chapter 3, and I want you to notice what it says, it says, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And something very important people need to understand is there are many people today who are saying a lot of true things but they're not always saying it in sincerity. And as a result, what's gonna, what they, these people end up doing is corrupting the Word of God. A lot of people know what facts to repeat back, but because it's not something that they truly believe, it's not in their heart, it's not something that they even understand, what those people are going to end up doing, and I'm, talk, I'm speaking in the religious world, is they are going to make a lot of mistakes in their interpreting of the Bible. And so it's very important while... All of us are going to be at a stage and a point in our life where we're listening, where we're learning. You know, eventually, especially before you're a teacher, you need to get to a point where you know things well enough that you know how to find answers yourself, and they're actually yours. You know, that's something that you believe. You're not just repeating back facts. And so, the Apostle Paul, you know, he's saying, we're not like many of these people that corrupt the word. We are sincere in what we're speaking. And so, you know, if me, if I'm, if I'm guided by the Bible, then I will let the Bible form my theology. And when I see something in the Bible that isn't clear or confusing, what I'm going to, what it's going to make me do if I'm sincere is I'm going to dig into the Word of God with sincerity and with the intention of letting the scriptures determine my position. This will also cause me to interpret every passage of the scripture in an honest way. And we hear people all the time that will get up and they will use scriptures in the weirdest, most crazy ways. And it's just like, how could you possibly get that? And it's because they've decided that a doctrine is true. And so they're going to make the Bible fit that. You know, there, uh, some of you might have saw the video where there was the guy that's on that debate that Pastor First did. He was saying that teaching there was a difference between a covenant and a testament. And that was like the least of his problems. And this was a big problem. He was teaching that the new covenant hasn't come yet. And it was just like, where would you possibly come up with that idea from reading your Bible? You never would. But because this guy has this idea in his mind that people were saved by works in the Old Testament or are going to be saved by works again in the future, they've already decided that's true because Ruckman said so. So now let's find Bible that supports it. Well, I, I can't find any. But you know what? It would mean that if covenant and testament aren't the same thing. So therefore, those aren't the same thing. Listen, that is not somebody inter you know, interpreting the Bible sincerely. That's them corrupting it. And it's because he obviously does not know. You are not going to get any two different people in the world tell them study the Bible and they're both going to come to the conclusion that covenant and testament aren't the same thing. Unless they are both going into the scriptures with a preconceived idea about a lot of stuff, and then they might then they might do that. But uh, I don't want to get sidetracked on a lot of that stuff. But here's the thing: if we are correct on our King James only position, on our eschatology, on salvation, then there is no accurate interpretation of any scripture that we should fear. We will never need to misuse any passage. Some people have to misuse the scripture, otherwise they're going to have to repent of some doctrines. But if we truly are people who let the Bible guide us, we don't have to do that. 
in fact, if we just see something in the scriptures that proves that we're wrong, then you know what we get to do if we're really sincere, if we really are under the authority of the Bible, then we change. We let it fix us. That's what, that's what we would do. And if I am, so even if I am insincere, even when I'm right on my position, if I'm doing it not in sincerity, I'm regularly going to make mistakes in my interpreting of the scripture. I'm going to end up corrupting the word. Even if my position is accurate, you know, my insincerity is going to cause me to be lazy. It's going to cause me to just make a lot of mistakes and I'm going to do a lot of dumb stuff. We've been talking about this a lot, just how many people there are out there who have the King James only position. Thank God. They should be King James only. I'm King James only. But it's, there is no doubt these people are not sincere because of all the dumb stuff that they regularly say in the name of King James onlyism. And it's just like, dude, you've just enjoyed, you've just joined the political movement. You know, you've just joined You've attached yourself to the IFB crowd that's King James only, but you have no clue why you're King James only. You, sir, need to step aside and stay out of this battle because you're making us look bad. But again, it's so you can, again, sincerity is so important, folks. And if you're just somewhere you just don't know yet, you're not ready, just wait till you get ready before you get too involved in the fight. Before you start your YouTube channel, before you start pastoring a church. You know, we need people who are going to take these positions and be sincere and to mean it and have it internalized so they will stop corrupting the word, messing things up, and then, and then too, so they'll stop defecting and joining the other side. We don't need that. So the bottom line is, we need to come to grips with the fact that even if we are 100% correct on a position, there will always be those out there who technically are on our side but are not sincere and it will end up making people on our side look bad. And so Paul, here in chapter 2, he's saying we're not one of those people that are doing this insincerely. We're not one of these people that are corrupting the Word. We're doing these things in sincerity. And so now in chapter 3, where we start our reading, look what it says. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we as some other epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? Paul is basically here, he's asking, is, this, is it necessary for us to commend ourselves, to get up and talk about our qualifications, to talk about where we were sent out from, to talk about you know, our education, uh, all these things? You know, do, we, do we need something to prove that we are the real deal? He's, asking, you know, he's basically asking, is it necessary for us to get some letters of recommendation or commendation to prove they are real apostles sent by God. And it would be like me. It's like at this point, you know, I've been pastoring here almost 12 years. And a lot of you have been in this church for a long time. You've been seeing what's going on. It's like, do I really need to bring out my ordination certificate to prove to you I actually was sent out to start a church? You know, do I need, you know at, at this point, you ought to know right now if, you know, I'm in this for the right reasons or not. You know, do, do I really need to bring that out, show you the names of everyone that signed it, give you their phone number so you can call them up? Hey, were you really there? He forged your name on this thing. You know, is that you in that picture that he has from his ordination? You know, I just, or did he just pay seven guys to come stand with them? And, you know, like, you know I, hopefully we don't need to do that. And that's kind of what Paul's asking here. You know, do I need to do, get you some kind of letter to prove we're the real deal? And he says, ye are, and then he goes on, and this is where we get the title for tonight's sermon. He said, ye are our epistle, 
written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And the title of the sermon tonight is Our Epistles. Our Epistles. He declared the people in this church to be their epistles. And more specifically, he's showing that they themselves were the letters of commendation or proof that they were legitimate and sincere and they were using the Scriptures properly. It says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So not only were they their epistles, okay, an epistle is a letter. And we get, you know, like you could say that ordination certificate. What is that? That's just something showing that the, you know, a pastor and that a church got behind my ordination. It's just something I can show, hey, I actually was sent out. I didn't just go and just declare myself to be a pastor and start a church out of nowhere. You know, I'll see in the Bible where you have an ordination certificate. Well, I can see here where Paul's like, you know, do I need to show you a letter of commendation? Again, whenever they would go out, they would often have something to prove they had authority behind them, that they weren't false apostles. There were false apostles. So how do you know if one's a false apostle or real apostle? I don't know what all they had, what they used back then, but they definitely would have had something. And so these epistles that he's talking about, these are ones, they are, you know, um, they were something that was, they weren't written on tables of stone, but they were written on people's hearts. And he said, in such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So when we look at our epistles, this, this, this doesn't cause us to get lifted up with pride, but it actually causes a dependency on God. Because we're just enablers, or we're just, or we're just not enablers, but we're ministers who have been enabled by God. That, that's all we are. So the thing is, what he's basically saying here, you know, and it would be like me, okay? If I want to convince people, you, you, know, you know what my biggest thing I do to try to convince people we're a good church? Because there's a few rumors out there about us, even in the IFB world. You know, what my, you know what I do to try to convince people that I care about that we're a good church? I try to get them to come visit our church. You know why? Because they've heard epistles, you know, maybe through a phone call, maybe through a YouTube video. I don't know if anybody's wrote letters out about me, paddled on me. IFB does that sometime. I got a letter one time uh, that was sent to all the IFB churches and everything, letting everybody know about some guys that went liberal that were preaching a lot of churches and stuff, so everybody know to mark and avoid them. You know, you saying, is that wrong? I don't know. I mean, it was, it's kind of weird. I'm like, first off, I've never met this pastor. Why does he think he needs, you know, I need him to help me figure out who's bad and who's not. You know, I thought it was kind of weird, but, you know, oh, oh well, whatever. But, you know, that, you know, there, there was, you know, so there's people out there. They've, they've said a few things about us. But you know what I always try to do to the preachers I actually care about? I try to get them to come here. You know why? Because... We've got a whole bunch of epistles in here. And the truth is, the best testimony our church has, the most accurate testimony, the most accurate epistle, you could say, you know, one thing people look at to find out if a church is a good church or not, and it's not a bad thing to do, they'll look on their website and look at their doctrinal statement. That can tell you a lot, but it doesn't tell you everything. Really, the best way, if you want to find out if a church is the real deal, go and see what's in that church. Go see 
the way the people are in that church. Go see the way those people behave. Go see the way those people live their lives. And let me tell you something. The, you know, the epistle on a website, you can make a website look however you want. But let me tell you something. I'll tell you right now, as a pastor, the most accurate, just dead-on epistles of what a church is really like that tells you just the unfiltered, ugly truth are the people in the church. And you know, I, and, I, and so I'm not trying to flatter anything like that, but you know, I've gotten a lot of people to change their mind about our church when they've come and visited our church. And you know why? Because they saw the real epistles. And the thing is, the epistle that they saw, it wasn't again. They didn't see something on paper. They didn't see something on a YouTube video. But they saw something in our church. They saw something in the people in the church. In the church, They saw the spirit of the church. And you know what it did? It wrote something on their heart that told them, hey, this, these people aren't as bad as I thought. You know, they're actually pretty good. And let me tell you, the, that epistle that was written on their heart, it was accurate. And I'm telling you right now, you all are an epistle of this church. You are an epistle about me as a pastor. And, and so we're going to look at, we're going to look at this concept of people being epistles. Because again, too, while I have epistles that are out there that say things about me, you have epistles out there too that say some things about you. All of us have those things. And you know what? It won't hurt you every once in a while to maybe read those epistles a little bit and like, maybe I need to work on some stuff in my life. Sometimes I read some things in the epistles about me and I'm like, man, I don't like what this letter says. I probably need I probably need to work on some of this stuff. But he said these epistles, they were written on the heart. And so in verse 4, he says, In such trust that we through God word. Oh, I already read that. Uh, verse 6 is where we're at. Verse 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And you know what? There isn't one epistle in this church. And when I say there's not one epistle in this church, I'm talking about people. We do not have one epistle in this church that we can't nail with the letter of the law. Every one of you in here, you know what I can find in the epistle that you've written? Sin. You've all got it. The let, and the let, let me tell you, the letter of the law kills all of us. You know what? If we go to the letter of the law to judge all of ourselves, we all have sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. We're all worthy of hell. That's what the letter of the law definitely says. And the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So the truth is, I can't find out if you all are saved by your works, by that epistle. But you know what? I can find out you know, through the Spirit. Do you have the Spirit? Are you professing Christ? That, that's the thing. And he says in verse 7, But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away... How shall not the ministration of the Spirit rather be glorious? So again, while we can't, we, while we can nail every one of you in here with the letter of the law, the epistles in this church, even though you're sinful, you also, if you have, are professing faith in Christ, if you are professing a salvation without works, you also are a testimony of the grace of God. Because again, I can look, you know, anybody can come in this church. Look at the law and nail you all. 
For example, we get nailed all the time by the sodomites because of the fact that everybody in here probably wears mixed fabrics. <laughs> you know, and they, you know, so it's like, we, you know, we nail them on an abomination punishable by death. They nail some mixed fabrics that doesn't give us a uh, penalty for. And, you know, and so even, even the homos know how to take the letter of the law and nail all of us. You know, but the, the truth is, nobody's here because we haven't violated any of the law of God. We're here because of the fact that we have received the gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we see people who the letter of the law can nail, you know what it's a testimony of? The grace of God. Because, wow, these people have sinned, but God's still using them. These people have sinned, but they still have the Spirit of God. They're still able to do great things. They're born, they've been born again. And so there's a, there's a great testimony there. When you have people that are saved because you all are testifying of the grace of God. And so just the, so the ministration of death, it was a glorious thing written in tables of stones. And he's saying, if that was great, how much more glorious is this ministration of the spirit? And so the ministration of the spirit is glorious because we are testifying of the works of Jesus. That ministration of death was just not a, it, it was not very glorious when we get involved with it, because when we take that holy, perfect law of God that was in fact glorious, but then we match it up with our works, then it's just, it's a story of hell and death and condemnation for everyone. That doesn't make that great of a story, does it? But whenever we look at the ministration of the Spirit, what do we do? We see a sinful people, but we also see the works of Jesus Christ. And so we see His works. We see His glory. We see His grace that He gives to us. And so it's so much better. The new covenant, the administration of the Spirit, it is so much better because it testifies of the work of Jesus. It brings salvation. The ministration of death or of the Ten Commandments, it's glorious, but it kills all of us. So, in reality, it's not that great of a story. So, in this passage, we do have a great picture of the grace of God and how we testify the grace of God to others if we're truly saved. But what I want us to focus on tonight is what Paul used as proof of their credentials. Because that's what Paul is doing here in this passage while he gives this beautiful explanation of, you know, the administration of the Spirit and, you know, of death. And I, I, I love what that says. And we could preach a whole message just on that. And I preached a whole message on it, on it before. I want to I focus on the fact that Paul is using them, the people in this church, as proof of their credentials. He didn't use the letter of the law. He didn't say, let me show you my proof that I am an apostle of God. First off, I need all the qualifications that I wrote. All right. All right. Let's get the checklist out, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what he did. You know, and let me tell you, those things are good. Those things absolutely do matter. But you know what? That's something that's on the letter. That's something on paper. Paul said, you know what? You guys know there's something that's written in, in your hearts. People, they were the proof. And so the question I want to ask everybody in here today is, you know, what do your epistles say? You're, you're, a story is being written about you. You are writing a story. You all are testifying of what your beliefs are every day. Because again, what Paul's doing here in this passage is he's letting these people know we're not like the people that are corrupting the Word of God. The things that we are bringing you, the things that we are teaching, they are in sincerity. And that's what he's been expressing to them 
And he said, and you, and you know this is true. You have proof, not because of some letters that I showed you. Do I need to get letters? I can get the letters if I need to show you. But no, you, you know because ye are our epistles. Written in the heart. Not something written in stone. It's written in the heart. It's something that's better. And so, while I do believe it's important to have letters of commendation or something showing credentials, especially as a pastor, I think the most important thing we can look at is just their epistles. You know, look at people. And so, what do your epistles say? And again, I'm all for reading doctrinal statements to help me know someone's position. But I think more importantly than what someone writes on paper, more importantly than what some pastor probably copied and pasted and put on their website, more importantly than all that is what, you know, um, what, what do the people say in that church? You know, you can find out a lot about a church by talking to people from that church. Let me tell you, there's some churches in this area I have pretty low opinions of because I've talked to a lot of people from those churches knocking on doors. And they are not testifying of the grace of God. They are testifying of their works. Listen, I'm sorry, you shouldn't judge. Listen, you know what? I'm tired of just every one of these, you know, just lame, even Protestant churches. You You talk to people like... When was the last time you talked to a Methodist and they even claimed to know they were saved? I mean, I, I talked to a lady in Dixon one time. She was like 80 years old, been going to the same church for like 80 years and had no idea if she was going to heaven or not. What a shame that is. Faithfully attended church for 80 years and you don't even know if you're going to heaven? You say, oh, you're mean to that lady. No, I'm not mean, mean to that lady. I'm mad at her church. What in the world... Are they teaching? And then half of these people, you go to, you go to them. Well, what do you think a person has to do to go to? I'm going to be a good person. I'm sorry. Say, well, you know, I looked at that church's doctrinal statement. I, you know, who cares what their doctrinal statement says? Nobody in their church has obviously read it. Nobody in their church believes that. And I'm sorry, you know, and I get it. You know, every church, we've got people in this town that claim this church is their church, and they haven't been here in years, and they've been here like less than five times. But I'll still get a call from the hospital if they end up in the hospital. Hey, we've got some of your parishioners here at the church. And I'm like, who? And then they'll say, and I'm like, I didn't even know they claimed our church. And I'll still go visit them. But, you know, and, and again, if somebody knocked on their door, if one of you knocked on their door, I don't know that they'd be able to give you good answers. And the truth is, too, and they could probably tell you, we're from Liberty Baptist Church, and you'd be like, I've never seen you before. Oh, we know Pastor Tommy, you know. But, you know, so I get it. You're going to have people out there that are, you know, don't go just right off a church because of one person that claimed to go to that church. But you know what? When you talk to a bunch, then you can start to say, you know what? I've read several epistles from that church and that church stinks. Nobody in that church knows if they're going to heaven or not. And let me tell you, those are really accurate. And so a lot of these things we're going to look at while, you know, they are mainly focused on pastors, I do want to apply them to church members too because I do believe they directly apply to you. And there may be some in here, you know, you don't even really know what you believe. You know, some, we might have people in this church that are just going along to get along, but you know, that'll only last so long. That's, that's just, that's reality. It'll only last so long. And so let's go ahead and go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's look at the letter of the qualifications uh, and let's actually pay attention to what it says. But so for a pastor, okay, listen, you, you want to know 
what a better epistle is than ordination certificate. I have an ordination certificate. I've got, I've got the audio recording. I've got the cassette tape of, of the sermon and the service where I was ordained. I've got the picture of me with the preachers. All right, do I need to show you all that stuff? All right, well, the truth is, I could show you all that stuff, but did you know that I've actually got something better that I, I've got some other epistles that actually can tell you more? Because, again, I know a lot of people have ordination certificates that they're about as qualified to pastor a church, you know, as a woman is to pastor a church. So, you know, you can't always go off of that. You're, you really can't. So, First Timothy chapter 3, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, as a, uh, blameless, the husband of one wife. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. All these things are about him as an individual, about him as a person. But then it says, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, some of you all thought that that just means having children. Some of you all stop reading. It's like having children, multiple children. Does he have two kids? All right, we've all make fun of the qualifier kid around here. But folks, it doesn't just say having children. No, having children in subjection with all gravity. And in, uh, in Titus says having children not accused of riot, which I talked about this the other day. That doesn't mean you're out rioting in today's definition, but it's unrestrained behavior. And not accused of riot or unruly. And, you know, and folks, I'm, I'm taking a chance preaching this. All right, you all know Hannah. Uh, but <laughs> we're working on it. Right? She's, she's getting some restraint. Take some time for some of these things to work out. Okay, but one, but the, and he said, it goes on for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how should he take care of the church of God? Your family is an epistle. Your family is an epistle. Listen, you want to know why so many preachers get up and they preach things and none of their family follows it? Because their family doesn't believe it. You know why? Because dad doesn't really believe it. I'm sorry. I have been around pastors and their families my entire life. A lot of IFB pastors do not mean what they preach. I hate that I even have to tell you that. But it's just reality. I've been around it my whole life. And that's why so many guys, too, are jumping ship all the time. They think it's all fake. But no, I was blessed to grow up in a home where my dad actually believed the stuff that he taught. And my dad was not 100% perfect on everything. But let me tell you, he was sincere. I I mean, that's one thing I know for sure. My dad was sincere in his beliefs. And even if he, you know, didn't get a thing right here or there, you know, there wasn't anything fake going on. And so the, so the thing is, but I saw growing up a lot of other people, that was not the case at all. I'd hear their dads get up and preach one thing. And the kids, they did not, they, they, not only did they not believe it, they'd almost make fun of it. Oh, I never understood that. You know, I, me, I, was, I was automatically defensive of my dad. I, I remember I was, it was a shocking thing for me as I was growing up when I learned that not everybody in the church does everything that the pastor preaches. I would like get offended for my dad. You know, I'm like, what in the world? My dad, he preached against smoking all the time. All the time. And I remember, you know, I found out 
Some people in our church smoked. I'm like, Dad, Dad must not know about this. I was like, I, I, there was a rumor going around about a guy in the church was smoking. Some of the kids thought they'd seen it. And I thought, no, I, he's been going to church here for years. There's absolutely no way. And I remember one day they said they, they spotted him smoking somewhere, and we all went out to go spy on him. All of a sudden, he came around the corner. And just as he's coming around the corner, he took a big puff of smoke. I was devastated. I remember I had to go tell my dad. And my dad was like, I know. It's like, you do? You know, we don't hate him. No, no, he, you know, just some people struggle with it. You know, it's like, you know, it's okay. He's like, you know, it's all right. And like, you know, and I, I learned a lesson that day, you know. I, I said, I thought we hated everybody that didn't do what the, you know, I thought that, you know, that's just kind of what I wanted to make the thought as a little kid. But, you know, my dad taught, no, that's not how it works. I remember as a kid seeing other families letting their kids watch stuff we weren't allowed to watch, do things we weren't allowed to do. You know, and I'm thinking, Dad, why in the world are these people out in our church? You know, look at this horrible sin that's going on. Their kids watch He-Man. I, I remember I watched He-Man when I was a little kid, then my dad watched it with me one day and told me I wasn't allowed to watch it anymore because it was bad. I was, you know, and so it's like, well, if I can't watch He-Man, nobody should be able to watch He-Man. But other kids in the church watched He-Man. That's how bad they were. And you know what my dad had to teach me? You know what? Some people in their houses do things different than we do. You know what? It's not your, you know, it's not their job to listen to me. It's your job to listen to me. They have to listen to their parents. And, you know, you know, these were, these were valuable lessons. But let, you know, let me tell you, you know, either way you look at it, you know, kids they say a lot about your family. And the problem is, I'm telling you, in a lot of these homes, you got these recovering fundamentalist guys. That they, this is their testimony. One of them, his dad uh, was a pastor and evangelist, and his dad would tell them when they would go to certain churches, all right, you guys need to behave this way, you can't wear this, we can't sing this song. You know, basically tell them, all right, put on like we're like them. And no wonder those guys jump ship as soon as they are able. No wonder they think it's all fake. And I get it. I've, okay, fine. You know, Brian, your dad was a phony, but some of us, our dads meant it. It was, it was real to them. And so the thing is, now we look at their kids. You know, we look at, you know, we look at this guy, the son. And you know what the, you know what that epistle says? Your dad was a fraud. That's what the epistle says. And you know what? It's, it's one of the most terrifying things because again, some things don't lie. The mirror doesn't lie. The bathroom scale doesn't lie. Your kids, they don't lie. And we, a lot of times we think they do. We think we're going to fool everybody. But your, your family, it says something about you. And that's one of the reasons God put the qualifications, not having children, two kids. No, having children in subjection with all gravity. For a man to know how to rule his own house. If you can't even convince your family. Boy, you know what? Who cares if I convince a bunch of people of a bunch of doctrines and a bunch of beliefs and I can't even convince my family? You know, I'd rather convince my family than anybody else. And who cares if I, you know, if I lead this large congregation, I lead some movement, and I can't even lead my own family. You know what that just means? It means I've just conned a bunch of people. There's a lot of con artists out there that get a huge following. Folks, Kenneth Copeland has a huge following. Okay? Kenneth Copeland, you know, he has a lot more people following him than any good guys that I know. The numbers of people following you doesn't mean anything. But the truth is, 
if you can't, the, you know, a lot of people haven't figured out he's a fraud. He's conned a lot of people. But, you know, the truth is, children, they're the ones. They're the main ones that we need to reach. They're the main ones that we need to convince. And, but what, what do people do? They, they, again, they take the Bible and they make it mean whatever they need it to mean. And you know what? Everybody's going to stop blaspheming Jesus with this, Jesus had a Judas excuse. Isn't that what people automatically go to? Well, Jesus had a Judas. You know, you're saying, you know, you got to have his children's subjection, his family, you know, but you know, even Jesus had Judas and he was a reprobate. That means he was a sodomite. You know, you've got people that act that way. No. Listen, go to John chapter 6, verse 64. Okay. Judas was not a failure of Jesus. Okay. It says in John 6, 64, but there were some of you that believed not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Jesus knew what was going on with Judas. It says in verse 70, Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus was not shocked by what Judas did. In fact, what he would do, I will even go as far as to say, Jesus chose him for that. So why is that? Remember what I preached a week or two ago about how you know Jesus did the things that he did to fulfill the Scripture? The Scriptures wasn't just predicting what would happen ahead of time. No, this is what God wanted. This is what had to be done. And Jesus purposely fulfilled those things. And it says in John 17, 12, While I was in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus, he, first off, he never had Judas. Jesus chose him because the Scripture needed to be fulfilled that he be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. Judas was not a failure of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Judas did exactly what he was chosen for. Now, I have not chosen any of my children to be a Judas. I need to be like Jesus, so I've got to make sure one of them is a reprobate. Uh, you know, so then, you know, I, uh, no! Listen, I want all... I, I want all of my children to be saved. I want all of my children to follow the Lord. I, that's what I want. I don't want a Judas. I don't need a Judas. I don't, especially don't want my child to be a Judas. And I'm not going to try to convince people I'm more like Christ because I have a Judas in the family. I have an Absalom. So I'm just like, you know, put me in company with David. Listen, David was getting punished by God. That was why that happened with Absalom. So, do I really want it? First off, I don't want to be punished by God at all, but I especially don't want Him to use my children to punish me. And you know, who did it end worse for? David or Absalom? It ended worse for Absalom. So, again, what it's, you know, the problem is we've got so many bad, unqualified preachers out there who have been exposed by the epistles that are in their homes that they have. They've just rewritten the Bible and made it mean all kinds of things it doesn't mean. And literally, you go here, want to hear any preacher justify him continue to be a pastor while he's just got sorry children, can't turn out any good kids, he's going to, they're going to use Judas as an example. And folks, that's not an example we should use. Okay? You don't have, Judas is not an excuse for, for you. So Jesus, you know, he, he never had Judas. He never had him. 
He's like, all that you gave me, I've kept. Except Judas, who was chosen that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Judas never was saved. And I don't want to lose any of my children to the devil. The Bible says in Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's go ahead and make excuses about that one for a while. Come up with all kinds of exceptions and things. So another way people want to blaspheme God and to make excuses their own failure is by talking about how rebellious Israel was to God. And I don't know, you know, you talk about children. Well, you know, Israel, they were the children of God, and look at how much they rebelled against God. Look at all the junk that they did, always offering their children up to Moloch and doing all the things that they did. So, you know what? You're going to get on me for my sorry kids. Better get on God, too. You're going to get on me for getting divorced? You better get on God, because he divorced Israel. I, I've heard, I mean, do, hey, have anybody heard a preacher say that? I've heard preachers say that. Hey, now, let's just see a little... It's like, hey, have you all ever read the New Testament? Hey, look, what does it say in Romans 9, 6? Now, we know they haven't read this passage right here. But Romans 9, 6 says, Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they see be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And understand, okay, I think we all get this, that the rebellious house of Israel that did all of their abominations, they were a people who were under the ministration of the letter. They were all people who were under the ministration of death. That's why they failed. That's why they rebelled. That's why those ones who died, who weren't of faith, they went to hell. But what does it say in Galatians 3.18? For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then served the law, it was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and was ordained by angels in the hands of the mediator. So let's talk about Israel. Let's talk about Old Testament Israel, the children of God. They were the children of through the law. They were the children under the old covenant. And you know what? That ministration of death killed them, didn't it? Yeah, it killed them and it destroyed it. But you know what we learn in the New Testament? That the real children of God are those who are of promise, like Isaac. Those who are of faith. Did those ones do that stuff? Were they the ones offering their children to Moloch? Did Abraham offer his children to Moloch? No, they weren't the ones that did all that kind of stuff. So to go and to make a comparison of a group of people in the Bible that God used to teach us that we must have a Messiah, that we must have a, a Savior. We're going to use those people and their failure and their rebellion and say, that's an excuse for my bad kids. Yeah, let me, listen, all of God's children, and people say all the time, we're all God's children, you know, and we understand that's a foolish statement. People say it all the time. But the truth is, all of God's children you could say who are under the law, they're all going to get disowned at some point. They're all going to get cast into hell. You know why? Because they're all going to sin. They're all going to come short. So we cannot use that as an excuse. That, that makes no sense at all. It's, and it's just a, another poor excuse. And so this is why the people who often seem the most hardcore often turn out the sorriest product. You know why? Because it's all about the letter and nothing's about the spirit. The preacher gets up, I spank my kids until they're black and blue. and you know, They're the ones whose kids always turn out to be rebels. 
I believe in spanking my kids till they're 21. And if they're in the house 22, I'm still going to spank them. I can't wait to see what you turn out. In fact, I, I've seen what you turn out. But they always go to the most hardcore. You know, and then you have the people. How many times should we spank our kids when they misbehave? You know, and I just look at those people and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Okay. Where then, where, the, where you have some preachers, I do at least 39, 40 stripes, save one. That's biblical right there, amen. It's just like, come on. Those people never turn out anything good. A lot of times when their kids are real little, they have these scared kids that don't do anything and they're proud of it. They like brag about how, you know, they, you know, you know how like some people, hey, come watch my dog, sit, stay. You know, and then we're always, you know, some people, they're like that with their kids. Let me come show you what my kid can do. Roll over. You know, bark John 3.16. You know, and those kids all grow up hating the Bible, hating church. They're, they're always, they're, they're the first ones to jump ship every time. You know, and so, because it's all about the letter to these people. There's nothing about the Spirit. Nothing about the Spirit. They don't, they don't, they're not passing on the love of God. It's all about the letter. And they will get up and they will beat their chest and talk about how great they are and about how you hate your son because you're sparing the rod because you didn't spank him enough times. And it's just like, no, you people have no idea what you're talking about. And I do. I, I listen to preachers sometimes and it's just like, you know, they'll, they'll quote scriptures, but I hear what they say and it's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I feel so sorry for your kids. It's, it's going to be bad. But unspiritual and unregenerate people are often drawn to the most extreme form of something because of the fact they have no faith. And this, because he said, why is it? Again, there's, there's a reason people are drawn to things like idolatry. Because some people really struggle believing in a God that you can't see. But you know what? It's, it takes faith. But for them, it's easier to believe in a statue, which is ridiculous but at least you can see a statue. And so a lot of people too, when it comes to serving God and being a Christian, I can't believe it's just about something in the heart. I can't believe, you know, it's about a personal walk with God. I've got to know what that looks like. I got to know how you're supposed to dress. I got to know exactly how you're supposed to do your hair. And I'm just going to follow the most extreme thing. And that's why people get involved in the Amish. That's why people follow these holiness crowds and things. And you go talk to any of those people, they always have a false gospel all the time. But people are drawn to that. Why? Because they have no faith. Because they have nothing in the Spirit. They've not been born again. And so they are. They're drawn to the most extreme things. Because surely this proves. I'm saying, you know, these, you know, these people in Liberty Baptist Church, they kind of just look like normal people. I'm not seeing any halos over their head. And, you know, I'm not seeing halos over anybody's head. But boy, it's got to say something if I dress like I'm from the 1800s. It's got to say something if I start riding around in a horse and buggy. It's got to say something if I make my wife wear a bonnet and look like Caroline Ingalls or something like that. You know, it's got to mean something if, if I do that. They do that because they have no faith. And so, again, the biggest just mouth runners that are out there, they, you know, they do. The people they attract and they themselves often turn out the worst product. And so, again, don't be afraid. And, you know, I said, I'm just going to get up here and I'm going to say it. And I'm not, I, I say this with humility. I say this with fear because I have so many kids at crucial age. I've got, I've got them at all ages right now. I've got them becoming adults. I've got teenagers. I've got little kids. I, I've got it all. And so telling people, read my epistles, it's like, 
you know, oh, you guys, you know, you better behave yourself, you know. <laughs> but it's like, well, you know, you know, there was, and then let me tell you, there was a time, you know, we were just talking with the family last night about this too, how, you know, we used to have to give these scare speeches before we go into Walmart and stuff, you know, just to get the kids to behave. You know, and we would just talk about, you guys have no idea what you're in for. If you are bad in there, you better not throw a fit about anything. You better not. I mean, we, we, give, you know, we did the scare speeches. I, I know a lot of you parents do the same thing. Okay? But, you know, at, at the same, same time, you know, I sometimes feel like that, too. It's like, you kids, you better not expose me. You know, you kids better not. But, you know, the truth is, with eight of them at all these different ages, I'm not going to be able to intimidate them into anything, into, into fooling all of you. You know, maybe I can, maybe I can manipulate you all enough to just look away from anything you see and make, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't really want to use manipulation. Uh, and, uh, and so I, you know, but don't be afraid to look at people's epistles. Your, your kids say something. And so a pastor can often fool his congregation, but a pastor can't fool his children. You just can't do it. They live with you. They, they see everything. You, you can't do it. And you know what? You can't, fool, you can't fool your kids either. You can come in here and you can fool us for a while, but you know what? You're not going to fool your kids. And pretty soon, your kids, no matter how many scare talks you give them, no matter how much you threaten them, no matter how many times you give them 40 stripes, save one, they are going to expose you because everyone's going to see that little epistle that you're writing. And I'm... You know, I'm sorry, if you're dropping F-bombs at home all the time, one of these days your little three-year-old is going to get mad and drop an F-bomb in church. Oh, they were listening to preaching online. That's where they got it. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't from movies. <laughs> no, hey, we're all going to know at that point. They're going to expose you. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so, you know what you just need to do? You need to get out of the cover-up business and just be sincere. Be, do the right thing. And even if you're not that great, don't pretend you are. You know, we're okay with people that aren't that great. We're okay with people who have some problems. We don't care if you have a little bit of baggage, but you want to know who everyone hates is a hypocrite. Everyone hates the person who pretends to be one thing when they're not. So you, if you, if you have some issues, just, you know, listen, if your wife's a Jezebel... You know, you know, husbands, don't you tell everybody she's a Jezebel. I mean, you know, just women and men. Yeah, I'm a Jezebel. I mean, you know, I just, just, we're all going to figure it out because of your little miniature Ahabs and Jezebels running around, you know? It's like, we're, we're going to figure it out. Listen, if, if, you don't, if you don't want that, then just fix that. Quit being a Jezebel. Quit being Ahab, dads. So, look what it says in 1 Timothy 3. So, in 1 Timothy 3, 5, he says... For if a man don't know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So again, with pastors too, you can, another epistle they have is his followers or his fruit. Jude 1.11 says, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gain, saying of Corinth. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. And so, you know, he said, you know how you can tell these false prophets? Look at their fruit. Look at what they're turning out. Oh, he seems like... Look at their fruit. Look at what they're turning out. It's okay for us to look at these other churches, all right? I, I hope you're not going to go to St. Mary's here in town or St. Andrew's here in town. Nobody in their church knows how to get to heaven. You all have seen that. You're, you're, yeah, but I talked to the priest. He's a really nice guy. 
Okay. I think he's a false prophet. Why? I've, I've talked to his fruit. I've talked to his followers. They have no idea what's going on. And, you know, people too, they often drag Paul's poor name through the mud just because Paul had people that did him wrong too. You know, because a lot of times too, you'll have a church too where the people, it's like everybody in the church is psycho. Everybody in the church turns out to be a reprobate and people are like, well, you know, it's not, it's not my fault. Um, and, then, and then what they, they'll, they'll use Paul. Turn over to 2 Timothy. I want to show you something too. Because I've seen this passage misused too. But often people, they will use exceptions that the Bible mentions to manipulate you into thinking that they are okay. Even though all they have is bad fruit or the good fruit is the exception. But in 2 Timothy 4.16 says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God and I'll be laid to their charge. Hey, you say Paul's a bad guy because all men forsook. You know, you're saying I'm a bad guy because just everybody that I'm associated with turns out to be garbage. Everybody in our church turns out to be reprobate here, reprobate there. We're con- you know, no, all men forsook Paul. Are you sure about that? Are, are you real sure about that? You know, a lot of times it's okay when you hear a preacher preach something weird. Go back and look at that scripture again. And say, wait, is that saying what he's saying? It says, did ever did all men forsake Paul? When Paul wrote 2 Timothy 4, was he all by himself? Because actually, if you read all of chapter 4, and we're not going to go through it, Paul mentions a whole bunch of people that were standing with him that were doing good things. He mentioned Demas. He mentioned Alexander. Those were bad guys. But he mentioned a lot more people that were standing with him. He gave instructions to people. doesn't sound like... Go, we're, we're not going to take time to read through it. But it doesn't sound like Paul was standing alone. What does it actually say? It says, at my first answer, no man stood with me and strengthened me. What's that talking about? Now, Paul does not explicitly tell us what it is, but you know what I believe he's talking about here? If we, because when we look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts is, and we saw this as we were going through it, it often gives us a summary of events that took place. And often in Paul's writings, he gives a lot more detail into those stories and we can take a deeper look into the details of what was going on. But one thing that's very easy to miss in the book of Acts 2 is how much time passed in stories. And one story that we see in the book of Acts that when you stop and think, hey, how long did this take? And the Bible doesn't tell us, but if this took weeks or even months or maybe even a year, then I could, I could see where this would have been a very difficult thing for Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, because he said it, my first answer, no man stood with me. And in Acts 9.26, this is what I believe he's talking about. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So when Paul first showed up, he was not received by the disciples. Here he is gone and he's gotten saved. You know, here he's going and he's doing, he's doing good. He's trying to do good things. He's even getting in trouble with the Jews. But, you know, we see here when we're reading this, Barnabas took him. But did that happen right away? Was that immediately? I don't think it was. Because we see, too, that one of the, um, if you keep reading, it says, and he brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus and he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. So Barnabas, you know, after he seen Paul preach, because you know what? Paul kept doing the right thing. Even though nobody's standing with him, even though he suffered rejection, he's like, well, you know what? I'm still going to serve the Lord. And so I believe that's what he's talking about right there. But what's interesting about that is after the Apostle Paul started doing a work, people looked at his work and they said, you know what? He is one of us. 
This guy is a disciple. He's proved himself to us. This wasn't Paul at the end of his life. Everyone's forsaken me. You know? No, that's not what he was saying. No. His first answer, no one stood with him. But you know what Paul did? He proved himself. Right? He's doing the work. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing things right. So you know what? When everyone's dumping you, when everyone's abandoning you, when nobody wants to have anything to do with you, when all your fruit is bad, it's not because you're like Jesus. It's not because you're like the Apostle Paul. It's because it's just your epistles stink. They're really bad. And so, you know, who someone lays hands on says a lot. In 1 Timothy 5.19, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one another, or one before another. Do nothing by partiality. Lay suddenly, hand suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. We have to be careful about who we give credentials to. We don't want to be laying hands on people and have them going out and being false prophets. That's not good. You're a partaker in their sins. Well, Jesus was a partaker in Judas. No, he wasn't. Jesus was chosen to betray him to fulfill the scriptures. Now, and I'm not saying anyone's going to be 100%. I'm not saying that. Listen, I promise you, Liberty Baptist Church, we're going to get a bad epistle every now and then. A pastor might have, you know, I hope not, man. I hope I don't write any bad epistles. But, you know, if I might, there might be one that doesn't turn out so great. But at the end of the day, too, you know, what, you know, a, a kid going bad, what does that say? You know, and when they go bad, we never know the circumstance. There's a lot to it. But you're all the ones that are here. You're all the ones that are observing. And you're, you know what you're allowed to do? You're allowed to look at what you can see. And if you're seeing something that ain't looking right, you know what you don't have to do? You don't have to hide your eyes. Just, you know, you know what you're doing? You're reading an epistle. You're allowed to do that. And so, uh, you know, the pastor might send out a heretic every now and then. But, you know, it shouldn't be the other way around. It shouldn't be like, you know, yeah, he sent out like 12 guys and one of them turned out good. I think he just got lucky with the one. You know, that, that's not good. After, after a certain number, I need to know the number. No, I don't know the number. I don't know the ratio. I don't know the percentage. Okay. But if you do, if you just say, man, this is a really bad percentage, you know what? Follow your gut on these things. How many, you know, eight kids. All right. What percentage of them need to turn out good? 75% so I can lose two of them. You know, Hannah and Kelly probably. No, I'm, just <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm not going to give you a number. Okay. And if they go bad, how bad? You know, you know what does it mean to lose your kids? You know, they go become drunks and drug addicts and all that, or they go trendy, wearing skinny jeans. You know, you all, I, I can't give you the list. I can't give you the letter on those things. But let me tell you something. An epistle is being written on your hearts with it, and you know what? You don't have to ignore it. In fact, you shouldn't ignore it. And so... Um, Proverbs 13, 20. Go ahead and turn over there. Because what about church members too? Because you know that everybody in here, you all have someone that's following you to a certain extent. You know, and I, if every church member that gets around you 
becomes a worse church member? You know, it's okay if we start looking at you and say, hey, what's going on? If every time a family gets close to another family in the church, that family leaves the church, that's what I as a pastor might say, what are you all doing? I mean, just if, if anybody that becomes friends with Brother Aaron leaves the church a month later, I'm going to start saying, hey, um, what do you talk to people about, you know, Brother Aaron? What's going on in your house? Everybody your wife makes friends with, they, they're out of the church the next week. And, and there's people like that in churches. There are. There are people like that that they do. It's like they are there to let everybody know how bad the church is. Listen, if it's that bad, just get out. I, and that, I wish I had time to talk about that. We're already over time. But that, you know what? That's when we're going to start saying it. Like everybody that gets around you becomes a worse Christian. That person used to go soul winning until they started hanging around you, and now they don't go soul winning anymore. Now, what, what are you doing? And then the people that do that kind of thing will usually continue doing the right thing. The per, I'm telling you, if we ever have somebody in the church that starts talking everyone out of soul winning, I promise that person will go soul winning. That's just how those people are. Because it's the way they can prove they're really objective. And I wish I, man, I wish I had, I wish I had time to just start talking right now and just kind of telling some stories. But that's just, that's the way that stuff works. Hey, let me tell you, if all your friends, everybody that becomes close to you becomes a sorry church member, you know what? There are some of your epistles and I'm reading them and I'm, and I think we need to have a conversation. That's not, that's not a good thing when that happens. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. What happened to all these families that got destroyed? What do they all have in common? They all best, became best buddies with Aaron. Gone a month later. You know, and that's where me, as a, as a shepherd in the church, I've got to go, and, you know, got to go wolf hunting a little bit. It's like, hey, uh, looking for, you know, what's going on here? You know, I might have to do something like that. So... A pastor, you know, a pastor cannot and should not be the only influence in the church. Everyone should be ministering to each other in the church. And if everyone you get close to quits, you're the problem. You're the problem. You can't, you can't nail me with a letter. I can't see a script. No, I can't, I can't nail you with a letter of the law, but those epistles that you wrote, they tell me something about you. And so we need people in our church writing some good epistles, especially with those kids. I love it that we have all these kids in this church. I love that. Value those children. Take care of those children and make sure you write a good epistle. Make sure you're a good testimony because it doesn't just speak of you. It speaks of our church. Hey, do you all want me to start not inviting preachers to this church that I like because I don't want, <laughs> I don't want you all exposing me? And... I can start talking about some churches. I was talking before church about like guys who it's like they don't want people coming to their church. That makes me suspicious. It's like what church doesn't want visitors? And that's another subject too I don't have time to start talking about. We were talking about that before church. I get real suspicious. When people express interest in coming to this church, I'm like, yes, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Why? Because I'm, I'm fine if people read our mail. I am. I'm fine with that. And so never let the epistles that someone writes on stone, on paper, or even on a website. Don't let an epistle that they recite on YouTube ever trump what they write on the lives of people that God has placed in their lives. Jesus did not die for a doctrinal statement. He died for people. And we need to be aware of those who abuse and scatter the sheep. That is not a good thing. And so, um, you know what? 
I feel like sermons like this, they're kind of scary. It's like stepping on a bathroom scale after Christmas. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like looking in a mirror, you know, in the morning. And you kind of see reality. And, you know, it's best to know reality. That way you can actually work on what needs fixing. And so pay attention to those little epistles you have running around. They're telling on you all the time. They're always tattling on you. And, you know, if, if, you, if, if you're doing good, that's good. You know, there's some things I want people to find out. And, and so let's, let's work on our epistles. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for our church and the blessing that they are. And Lord, I pray you'll help all of us to work on these things. Help us to remember, Lord, that we, uh, that we uh, represent this church. We represent our families. And more importantly, we represent you. And so I pray you'll help us to uh, be the real deal, to be sincere. And make a real difference in your name we pray. Amen.